0: For people in New Orleans who've been watching local news all these years, there's someone they would probably recognize, but most likely would have no idea what she has said on TV, unless they understand American Sign Language.
1: My name is Sherry Bernius. I am a certified deaf sign language interpreter.
0: Throughout my reporting career in New Orleans, I've seen Sherry at countless press conferences, but we've never really spoke. Deadlines and duties usually get in the way of that. I'm Tan Trung, and this is the Ton Report. Recently, I saw Sherry at a press conference ahead of the carnival parade season. I asked her if she'd be open to talking about what she's witnessed in her decades of interpreting for deaf people. She said yes, if we could nail down a day. Her job often takes her to different places on a daily basis and puts her in the room, as they say. At first, I thought I could get some juicy tidbits from her about the political personalities she's worked alongside. But what she ended up sharing with me was far more eye-opening. I was able to get her story when we finally were able to meet. It was at the council chambers in St. Bernard Parish. She was part of a pre-hurricane season meeting that day. A grass cutter was also there, but not for the meeting. He was just doing his job. You may hear him occasionally in the background. Let's get to our conversation. We're in the St. Bernard Parish Council, and there's a bit of grass cutting going on behind (laughs) us. But what, what were you doing here before today?
1: We had a meeting um, for the hurricane preparedness. We discussed, you know, the plans for the parish. I'm always asked to participate to make sure that the deaf person who shows up during the evacuation is served accordingly.
0: I've tried to narrow you down. I've tried to interview you and you kept on saying, look, I can't do it. I got to go. Is your day always this crazy? You don't really know where you're going to go from one place or the other and one day to the other?
1: Absolutely. Every day is a different story. We have cases where we go out and interpret different situations, doctors, hospitals, whoever it may be. The schedule changes. There's cancellations, there's emergencies, so we have to take those emergency cases first, rearrange the schedule. So every day, even though I think I know what my schedule is that morning, it never turns out to be the same that evening.
0: Does that keep it interesting? Does it keep you interested and and engaged in a way?
1: Absolutely. Every day is a surprise.
0: So when you're... In this world of, you know, being that bridge, you know, you have to kind of pivot to a lot of different situations. Can you give us a little bit of insight on some of the situations that a sign language interpreter, American Sign Language interpreter has to be in?
1: we are available to a deaf person whenever they request the services for example if they have a doctor's appointment they will request the interpreter and it is a doctor's responsibility to provide an interpreter to that deaf person and we always explain that the interpreter is actually available for the deaf and the hearing we know that the doctor has to communicate with the patient or give directions as far as medication or you know procedure so if you don't have an interpreter, there could be a lot of miscommunication that may happen here. And then the deaf person could be at risk for injuring themselves or a deaf. And the doctor's ultimately, in the end, responsible for that patient. So if that person uh, was injured in any way by not having an interpreter, the doctor's liable. Because it, it, by law, under the American Disability Act, he is to provide accommodation to a disabled person.
0: So you're in the medical world, you're in obviously the political world, the governmental world, because I've seen you at press conferences at you know, city governments and parish governments. W- what other places does the sign language interpreter go?
1: Any place a deaf person needs the interpreter. So I have been in court, I have been in prison, I have been in situations where a deaf person who is delivering a baby wants the interpreter there while she's delivering. If a person, if a deaf person uh, is having surgery and he needs to be awake for that surgery, we go into surgery with the patients.
0: And not to get specific or get into specifics of various situations, but have there been times where an interpreter wasn't presented and or wasn't present and things went wrong?
1: Yes, we had one case to make it simple. The doctor was trying to tell the patient that he needed uh, three cc's of insulin because of the hand motion he was making three and the, the, he was trying to do zero, but it came out looking like a C and the deaf person tried to give himself 300 cc's of insulin. So, you know, that's danger zone. That's, that's an injured patient, ultimately and the doctor's responsible because he didn't get the right message so you know we encourage all the time you know get an interpreter get an interpreter it's the interpreters not just for the deaf person it's for the hearing person too it's for the doctor too because the doctor doesn't want to be sued for not providing an interpreter or the person getting the wrong message or getting misdiagnosed for whatever reason so when we when a deaf person asks for an interpreter sometimes they'll say well we don't have interpreters here we don't provide interpreters and they'll explain, you know, this is, this is the law. You need to provide the interpreter. If you go online right now, you'll see case after case after case. People um, being arrested, uh, deaf people being arrested, and their Miranda rights are not read to them because there was no interpreter. They're placed in jail. they don't even know why they're in jail. Um, I had an elderly lady um, tell me one time that she had, well, she was explaining to her doctor that she had a hysterectomy. And the doctor asked her why did she have a hysterectomy what was the reason that you had this hysterectomy and she said i don't know i have no idea why i had one because i didn't have an interpreter so the doctor said, so you had hysterectomy and you had no interpreter and she said yeah she said they didn't provide me with one and i knew i wasn't feeling well so i had the surgery but i don't i couldn't tell you why i had the surgery
0: you were in the room for that yes what was going on in your mind when you heard somebody say they gave me a an hysterectomy and I mean, obviously that that wasn't necessary, or that wasn't what she wanted.
1: To be honest, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Um, You'd be surprised how many people are not provided an interpreter, and then they go through with their appointment instead of, you know, waiting for the interpreter. Now I've had deaf people tell me, well, by the time I get them to understand, you know, how to use an interpreter. or who to call for an interpreter or <clears throat> to get an interpreter to come out or if I have to sue them because my rights were violated. By the time I do all of that, either I'm dead or I'm better. So they'll go through with their appointment just so that they can get in, especially if they're not feeling well, to get in just to see the doctor. And of course, we understand that situation. Who wants to wait you know, a month or two months to see a doctor? And so what ultimately happens is they just go in and they try to do the best they can. Some will write back and forth. Some use apps, they have these little apps on your phone that I think when a person speaks, it prints out what they're saying. It's not exactly what they want or need, it's just what they have to use because there's not an interpreter provided.
0: As an American Sign Language interpreter, Sherry has delivered some heavy messages.
1: If I have to deliver a message, you know, you have cancer, um, you know, Whatever the sad news is, that seems to be the hardest for me. Um, whether it's medical, whether it's you know, court, whether it's you know, you've lost your job. Whatever it is, I think it's just the, the, being the person to have to interpret that message is very difficult. So it's not one particular venue I like the most, it's, it's just having to deliver bad news.
0: And I'd imagine if you live long enough you're gonna to have to deliver some bad news. Oh, and I've and delivered many. This.
1: Yes, I have. And it's it's not easy and it's hard because, you know, I'm trying not to cry. <clears throat> I'm trying not to get emotional. You know, we interpret funerals. You know, funerals for me are hard because, you know, once I see someone start crying and I wanna cry and I'm trying to interpret and trying to be professional and we understand that we're human and that, you know, sometimes your emotions show through, but those particular times to me are the most difficult.
0: A majority of the calls Sherry gets are healthcare related. Then there's every other kind of scenario, like the good old televised press conferences where I first came to know of Sherry. Can I get back to the political scene? I mean, obviously you've been in the room many times, perhaps behind the scenes before press conferences. What's that like for you?
1: It's interesting. Um, I bet. You have a lot of opinions, you have a lot of people, you have a lot of departments, and everybody's trying to work together, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, As the interpreter, you know, I just sit and watch, you know, I don't get involved, um, I just kind of learn and see what's going on so that I can prepare, you know, for the message that I will be delivering. Um, It's just quite interesting what you see, and you know, it's... It's not one parish i work in i work in you know four or five different parishes doing press conferences so
0: are the personalities different from oh, parish to absolutely. parish
1: absolutely and i can tell you know it, it's one parish to another parish it can be a hundred percent different um, and i just know when i go to this particular parish what to expect i go to this particular parish you know i do this i do that i do this um but i stay neutral because as the interpreter i am just here to deliver the message you know interpret the message so getting involved in politics or you know background political whatever is happening behind the (laughs) scenes i just stay out of it and prepare to do my interpret the press conference and that's it
0: i'd imagine you've been in some high pressure moments where personalities and you know egos have clashed I don't want you to name names because that wouldn't be fair to you, but how do you kind of process that when you're seeing all this kind of stuff that most of us probably wouldn't see because when the cameras roll, you kind of have to have a sense of decorum. Um, Like, what's that like for you to to kind of be witness to that?
1: Well, you know, when you're talking about... Um, disasters or if a hurricane's coming, you know, everybody's on high alert. Everybody's attitude is different. And they're
0: stressed, too, though.
1: And they're stressed. So, you know, I can't really judge, you know, because I do see a difference compared to a, a, a regular press conference, maybe, I don't know, talking about a new building being built or something like that compared to a hurricane.
0: What's it like interpreting and then relaying the message of intense gravity and I'm thinking a mayor or a parish president saying you need to leave this thing is going to be a life-changing event obviously this is during a hurricane or ahead of the hurricane you've been in those moments I mean you were working during Katrina what's that like
1: it's a heavy burden you know because I have to make sure that that message is being delivered um, you know when you interpreting one-on-one you can see if the deaf person's understanding. You can make sure the deaf person's understanding. When you're doing a press conference, you don't have the ability to ask the presenter to slow down or, you know, um, can you repeat it because it wasn't clear? You don't have that ability. So I have to listen to that message and make sure that it's delivered in ASL so that the deaf person knows exactly what he needs to do, whether he needs to evacuate, does he need to shelter in, in place. So that message that I have to deliver is is a huge responsibility. So, you know, I do take it very seriously when I do press conferences.
0: In 2005, the head of Hurricane Katrina, Sherry didn't have much time for her own evacuation.
1: You know, I had to make sure that I was at all the press conferences while everybody else was preparing to leave. I couldn't prepare to leave. I had to make sure that I was at these press conferences. As a matter of fact, I did the last press conference um, I believe it was a Saturday, and I had to make sure that I was there for the last press conference, get home.
0: Because the storm was coming Monday. Exactly.
1: It was coming Monday and um, ran home, and I think it was 2 or 3 in the morning uh, before I could get out because I had to make sure that I did that last press conference before leaving.
0: So So you were able to leave. I mean, they didn't say, like, we need an interpreter. You need to stay.
1: In, for Katrina, we were told we had to leave, everyone. All the New Orleans staff um, was, was told that we needed to leave, that we needed to evacuate. You know, we've learned a lot more today than we have with Katrina. Today, um, for example, um, the last, one of the last hurricanes we had, we had an interpreter stationed at City Hall for 30 hours to make sure that if an interpreter was needed, she was able to be escorted to wherever the deaf person was. So today, we have a better plan. You know, We have an interpreter stationed in one location. If we don't have an in-person interpreter, we will do um, video, FaceTime if available.
0: There's a severe shortage of American Sign Language interpreters. Some of the latest numbers show there are only about 10,000 certified ASL interpreters in the U.S. and Canada, while there's roughly 1 million Americans who are functionally deaf. As we've been hearing, this kind of work is crucial because it usually involves someone's health and safety. But it wasn't the kind of work Sherry initially wanted to do as a young girl growing up in the Ninth Ward of New Orleans.
1: Both of my parents are deaf, so I grew up in the deaf community. I learned English and sign language simultaneously. I had an older brother who spoke, so um, I actually learned both languages at the same time.
0: I'd imagine it was out of necessity because you obviously had to communicate with your parents, and and that's something that you know most kids would try to learn a second language. Yours just happened to be American Sign Language. What was that like in learning that?
1: I don't really know the answer to that because I learned it at a small age. Um, so I imagine, you know, having an older brother who was hearing and spoke and having parents who use sign language that I actually learned it simultaneously. So um, I don't know because I don't know what I did as a child. <laughs> I don't know how I learned it. I just Sure. I, it. <laughs>
0: it'd be like asking, hey, do you remember when you started learning English? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Learning how
0: to speak. That's that's a tough
1: exactly, thing exactly. To, to, to
0: pinpoint. Can I ask, did your brother learn American Sign Language?
1: He did. Okay. Um, he was in the same situation as me uh, learned it simultaneously so we both um usually when we were with our parents we we use sign language when it was just him and i we spoke so basically there were two languages in our house simultaneously
0: you didn't want to do this i mean this this was not your preferred profession early on as, as a young girl right
1: correct um all my life i interpreted i was the link between the deaf and hearing um so i was always available to my parents I remember growing up, the responsibilities I had, you know, the burden I had of always having to take care of not only myself, but my parents. I always had to be their interpreter, always had to make phone calls for them or read mail or whatever the situation was. They relied on me, you know, 99% of the time and, you know, I wasn't able to be a kid because I was always their caretaker. Because when I came home from school, I always had to be available, you know, check on, my electricity bill or call the doctor, make an appointment, whatever it was, I was there after school making all of these phone calls for my parents, you know, or if, you know, the phone would ring, I had to answer it because they couldn't, you know, they weren't able to speak to someone that the person that was calling. Don't ask me how I did at a young age. How did I make sense of maybe a doctor's appointment or adult speaking to my parents, but I did. I, I was just always there. I was always their interpreter. So, you know, growing up, um, as I got older, I decided, you know what, this is not what I want to do for a living. I've seen other interpreters working, and I said, I'm not doing this because I had to do it all my life, and I was tired of doing it.
0: What did you want to do if you didn't want to do this when you were young? I mean, where where were your interests?
1: Actually, I thought about being a policeman. That was actually something I was kind of dreamed about a lot. Um, but as you can see, that didn't work out. So here I am.
0: Well, the NOPD needs officers. <laughs> if you're There's still time, Sherry.
1: I guess there is time, but I think I'd rather stay where I'm at.
0: (laughs) What Sherry told me next put the role of an interpreter in a whole different light for me. And I got a sense of why, as a younger girl, she didn't want to be a sign language interpreter at all. I think because we mostly see sign language interpreters on TV relaying what a hearing person is saying to the deaf community, we probably don't think about when that gets flipped, when a deaf person has to tell the hearing world something. Sherry has been the one delivering sometimes private and uncomfortable messages, including from her parents.
1: I'm sure there were times that my parents went to the doctor and had to explain to the doctor whatever their illness was and maybe embarrassed that they had to tell their child whatever it was to tell the doctor why they were there. And I'm sure there were many embarrassing situations. Of course, I don't remember much of them, but. I'm sure that, you know, as a parent, you don't want your child to know all of your business. Of course. You know, and and that's what they had to do. They basically had to tell me all of their business in order to communicate with a hearing person.
0: It sounds like you grew up really fast and really early. What did you do to kind of give yourself an outlet away from those responsibilities? Because it sounds like you did shoulder a lot of responsibilities.
1: We used to have social events every weekend. Where the deaf would just come together and um, just socialize, watch movies or whatever it was, and all of the kids would play together. So that, I guess you can call, it was my outlet was being able to play with other kids that were the same as me. You know, having deaf parents. Uh, not that we sat around and talked about our issues, but we just played together. We just.
0: We were kids. We understood each other. Yeah, you, you we played you needed together. to relate to somebody. Exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that was an outlet and still to this day miss that, miss those kids that I played with that really understood, we all understood each other because we had deaf parents.
0: There's a term to describe those kids, CODA, which stands for Child of Deaf Adult. Last year, a movie called CODA won several awards, including the Oscar for Best Picture. The film featured a predominantly deaf cast, this is from the movie's trailer.
1: Yeah, I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before.
0: You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just want to tell you right now.
0: And you sing. Interesting.
1: Something's got a hold on me, here. Yeah.
0: What do you think, like, movies like CODA did for the deaf community and even for the hearing community and understanding what they're going through
1: it definitely did open a lot of eyes um people don't understand what a child like in my case had to do for their parents and this is the same thing that the movie you know predicted is it it showed where the, the the daughter had to take care of the needs of the family in her case she had deaf mom, deaf dad, and a deaf brother. She was the only child in the house that was able to to hear. So, you know, I had to take care of my parents. She had to take care of her parents and her brother. So basically it, it showed the same responsibility and the same burden that a child had to take upon herself or himself to help their parents live, you know, in a hearing world. had to be their link
0: so you really related to that That was almost like your your childhood playing (laughs) out on screen
1: (laughs) absolutely and I wish more people would understand but you know looking back at it all you know growing up I used to think why me you know what what did I do to deserve this why do I have this huge responsibility but now as an adult I understand why God has blessed me you know I am the link between the deaf and the hearing, to me, it's just a blessing. You know, where would I be today if I didn't have this? I mean, the opportunities, the things that I see through interpreting, I would have never had those opportunities had I just had a regular job. So, you know, now as an adult, I see how blessed I am and grateful of having deaf parents, you know, just being happy I have deaf parents now. Of course, like I said, when you're a child, you don't see that, but I see it now as an adult and just truly blessed that I had deaf parents. To be fair, we don't see a lot
0: of things when we're kids. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So don't be too hard on yourself. The
1: opportunities I have today are because of my parents, you know. So I'm thankful that I am a child of deaf adults.
0: The CODA circle can be a small one, and it's very tight because the experiences of those children are so specific.
1: Yes, it was a lot of responsibility, and now as adults, we have a a CODA group, and we get together once a year and talk about our past, talk about our childhood. And I noticed that a lot of us, when we get together, act like children, because we didn't have that opportunity that much when we were growing up. So when we get together, we're silly, we act like kids, we, you're you know, are aging imitate- in reverse right exactly. now. Yeah, you're like
0: Benjamin Button. <laughs> exactly. You're going in reverse. That's great. <laughs>
1: and love it, and love it. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, someone hearing, watching us would think we were normal, but it just, just to be able to be a kid again is awesome.
0: How do iPhones and smartphones come into play here? Are, are they good tools if... Uh, an interpreter is not available? Is that something that a deaf person can use as almost a translator because at least they can text and kind of relay some messages to to folks?
1: See, my parents didn't have that opportunity Of course, because we didn't have the technology back then. Um, If I had a funny story is if if I needed to get in touch with my parents to be picked up from school or whatever the situation may have been um, I had to call my neighbor and my neighbor walked over to my parents' house and then said, you know, Sherry needs to be picked up from school. She, she was always the person who delivered the message to my parents. You know, today, the kids don't have that responsibility anymore. They, the, the kids are, the parents don't need to rely on the kids as much as my parents had to rely on me because of the technology. You know, they have text messaging, they have video relay, they have, you um, Uh, FaceTime. So all of these options that they have today allow the parents to be more independent and not have to rely on their children to always be there and interpret for them all the time. So it's actually been um, a blessing with this new technology we have today.
0: And does the deaf community utilize that? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Um, Yes, I mean, you know, it's visual now, you know, we have all these visual apps, so they can independently work on their own. They don't need to rely on family members or their children to help interpret. So it gives them the independence, and that's what they always want, is independence. You know, I'm, I'm not any different from anybody else. I want to be independent. I don't have to rely on someone all the time to do everything for me.
0: And I'd imagine, and I haven't seen it, obviously, I'd, I'm not that well-read in the, in the deaf community, but with, as you were saying, the visual mediums and visual apps of, like, FaceTime, you can actually have a conversation in sign language because now you're able to communicate with another deaf person and they can have a conversation because now they can just put it on a tripod and, and sign their way.
1: Absolutely. It used to be that you know they had to go to a social event or a group gathering before they could actually talk to their friends or gather with their friends. Well now it's pick up the phone and FaceTime and they have access to their friends 24-7 just like a hearing person does.
0: I got to say I kind of like that social aspect though. I think we're missing that and whether you're deaf or hearing. I think way too much we're on our phones and we're we're kind of in our own little corners, but that's besides the point. What do we in the hearing world not understand about people in the, in the deaf world or the hearing impaired world?
1: The importance of an interpreter sometimes. Um you know, people think that they can lip read. People think that you know because they shake their head yes and no, which is common for people when you talk and you know you sh- you nod your head up and down that they understand. They always understand. And you know if they have an appointment, there was no interpreter and he um, shook their head yes and nodded and the service provider said, well he understood, he understood. Then the interpreter comes for the next appointment and then we find out he didn't understand anything because he maybe was too embarrassed to say he didn't understand.
0: This is a weird analogy, but in a weird comparison. When my mom was learning English, obviously she came to the States from Vietnam. We all came from Vietnam. She was a full adult. She had to learn a new language. And I think people thought my mom was stupid because she didn't. Obviously, she was learning a new language. And I'd imagine that when a deaf person is trying to communicate and there's the barrier between them and the hearing world, and then the hearing world doesn't understand what's going on in the deaf person's world. They just assume that the deaf person's dumb, and I think that what's happened to my mom, and I think Absolutely. that's gotta happen Absolutely.
1: to And they do feel taken advantage of sometimes when they go get their car repaired, you know, and their bill is $500, and you may have the same service done, and yours is $200. And they're like, wait a minute. so many years of that type of experience, they feel like they, they're being taken advantage of because they're deaf and they think they're dumb. You know, I've had people say, well, they can drive? They, they can, they can. Well, they're drive. not blind. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> yeah. because it's it not being knowledgeable about a disability. But, you know, just like your mom, I mean, hey, she can do the same thing everybody else can do. She just had to learn the language. You know, whereas a deaf person, it's not a language barrier it's a disability and people don't understand it's a difference between you know this person is never going to learn English as you know in comparison to your mom they're never going to be able to hear so they will always need the interpreter so you know in your mom's case she's going to learn English and eventually she'll be able to be you know learn understand the language and live independently the deaf person is never going to be able to hear again and have the chance of having the same reaction that your mom had. So it's difficult because people need to understand that it's a disability. It's not a language barrier. It's a disability.
0: Back in the day, back when she was the little girl her parents relied on to be their ears and voice, Sherry couldn't stand the idea of doing that the rest of her life. Today, she can't think of a better way to live her life.
1: This is a passion of mine a lot because of the fact that I grew up in the deaf world. So, you know, I feel the need to protect the deaf community because that's who I was and who, who I took care of and who I worked with and played with. So it will always be a passion of mine. So I don't believe that there is another job for me, that this is the job that God has placed me to, a job that God has wanted me to do. So I'm going to do it.
0: In St. Bernard Parish, I'm Ton Trung for WWL Radio.